1: We're finally going to get to hear from Mike Bloomberg without him disclosing that he approved this message. The lead starts right now. Attacks over a heart attack. The battle gets ugly at the top of the Democratic race. As Senator Bernie Sanders says, you've seen enough of his medical history. While the Bloomberg campaign calls Sanders the Trump of the left. From off the stage to primary target Mayor Bloomberg expected to catch a ton of heat tonight from his 2020 rivals as the billionaire's treatment of women in the workplace comes under new scrutiny. Plus, money, power and pardons, the name drops and cash and major players that all led to President Trump letting some powerful criminals off the hook. Welcome to the Lean up, Jake Tapper. We begin today with the 2020 lead, quote, an absolute lie. That's what Michael Bloomberg's campaign is calling the rather stunning falsehood lobbed by the Bernie Sanders campaign today. Sanders' national press secretary, Brianna Joy Gray, came on CNN today and in an attempt to push back against those asking for Sanders, who had a heart attack last fall, to release additional medical records, falsely said that Bloomberg had suffered heart attacks in the past. Bloomberg's campaign says he had coronary stents placed back in 2020, I'm sorry, back in 2000 but has had no heart attacks ever. Gray has since tweeted, quote, I misspoke when I said Bloomberg had a heart attack. Rather, he underwent the same stent procedure as Bernie, unquote. Well, there's a big difference, of course. Sanders had a heart attack. Bloomberg did not. Another big difference, the Sanders campaign spread a falsehood about Bloomberg. And notably, the Sanders spokeswoman did not apologize. And for the record, this isn't even the first time this week that this spokeswoman went on TV and made a false and incendiary claim against Michael Bloomberg, only to later go on Twitter to say, hey, I misspoke. Just yesterday, Gray on CNN falsely claimed that there were 64 sexual assault allegations against Mike Bloomberg. Later on Twitter, she also said she misspoke that they were sexual harassment claims. But that's not really accurate either. What is true, according to a Business Insider investigation, both the company Bloomberg founded, Bloomberg LP and Bloomberg, have faced, quote, nearly 40 employment lawsuits from 65 plaintiffs since 1996. The majority of those alleged discrimination over gender, race and disability status, as well as pregnancy discrimination and wage theft, unquote. Now, none of that's acceptable. And we will have more on actual allegations against Bloomberg later in the show, But that isn't what the Sanders campaign accused Bloomberg of doing. She said that there were 64 sexual assault allegations against Bloomberg personally. There are not. There are none. Look, either facts matter or they do not. Either a campaign pushes out and tolerates smears or it does not. We all know where President Trump and his team stand on these issues. They lie and they smear. But is this now what we're supposed to expect from everyone? As CNN's Ryan Nobles reports, the Bloomberg campaign is calling this whole episode all very Trumpian, and it all sets the stage for a heated debate tonight.
2: Bernie Sanders is facing new questions over his health. I feel very good. Thank you. After suffering a heart attack last fall, Sanders pledged to release his medical records before the primary. In late December, he released three letters from doctors who treated him that included a summary of the senator's health and some test results. At Tuesday night's CNN town hall, Sanders said that's as far as he plans
3: to go.
1: Just to be clear, you don't plan to release any more records? I don't. I don't think we will, no.
2: That, after telling CNN this in October, be- just days after his heart attack.
3: At, at the appropriate time, all of our medical records... Uh, public, for you, for anybody else who wants to see them.
2: A Sanders spokeswoman telling (laughs) CNN today that additional requests for the Vermont senator's medical records are unfair.
4: And what you're seeing right now is really reminiscent of some of the kind of smear, kind of uh, skepticism campaigns that have been run against a lot of different candidates in the
2: past. Then going further by distorting Michael Bloomberg's past heart issues.
4: It's really telling, given that none of the same concern is being demonstrated for Michael Bloomberg, who's the same age as Bernie Sanders, who has suffered heart attacks in the past.
2: That's not true. Bloomberg underwent a coronary stent replacement in 2000 for a blocked artery, but did not have a heart attack. Bloomberg's campaign firing back, calling the statement a quote, absolute lie and saying facts matter. This isn't the way we defeat Donald Trump in November. Sanders press secretary later tweeting that she misspoke. But the back and forth comes as Bloomberg and Sanders prepare to face off on the debate stage for the first time tonight. Both candidates are 78 and would be the oldest president ever elected to a first term. Bloomberg released a letter from his doctor in December saying he was, quote, in outstanding health with, quote, no medical concerns present or looming that would prevent him from serving as president of the United States. And Sanders doctor's letter says that he is, quote, in good health currently and that engaging vigorously in the rigors of your campaign, travel and other scheduled activities without
3: any limitation. You think I'm not in good health, come on out with me on the campaign trail, and I'll let you introduce me to the three or four rallies a day that we do. How's that
2: And of course, it's not just Democrats being criticized for the lack of transparency as it relates to their health records. President Trump was criticized during his campaign in 2016 as well. Since he's been president, he has been uh, given exams by White House physicians. But during the campaign, all he released was a letter from his physician at the time that was filled with superlatives about his health.
1: Jake. Yes, I think we all remember that physician. <laughs> Ryan Nobles, uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, we have two former campaign spokespeople at the table, so I'd like to start. Um, Karen, you were the senior spokesperson for Hillary Clinton's campaign. Mm. I have to say, just as, a, as a, somebody who covers politics, I'm really shocked that yeah. to have two days in a row, the same spokeswoman for the Sanders campaign, he's the frontrunner, by the way, yep. um, making wild, incendiary allegation against, against, uh, allegations against Mike Bloomberg uh, and then responding the way they did, especially for a campaign that is constantly attacking Trump for lying,
5: it is a very significant mistake in my judgment for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is the time when, particularly as a front runner, particularly as voting has started and things are getting tighter, you don't have any room for mistakes, right? I mean, Bernie Sanders is trying to be the front runner, show that he can build a coalition, and it's not just that she misspoke. But as you said, these were outlandish, outright falsehoods, right? One of the things I noticed though, how you know, sometimes with younger spokespeople, and I don't know this young woman, so I'll be clear about that, how we talk online and in social media is not how you talk to reporters, is not how we talk on television, and sometimes it feels like, and as I was watching her, it felt like, well what's the, what are you trying to say? And then she just kind of blurted out these falsehoods, and there was a much better way to make the point without just flat out lying. And now putting Senator Sanders in the position, he's going to have to clean this up himself. You never want to make such a big mistake that your candidate is the one cleaning it up. And
1: Amanda, Bloomberg's campaign manager, Kevin Sheiky, told me about this. He said, quote, Bernie Sanders is the Trump of the left. I honestly can't tell the difference in their campaigns. You're a former campaign spokeswoman. You, you most recently, I think, for Ted Cruz. Uh, what do you make of this?
0: Well, listen, it's a factual misstep, but more importantly, it's a strategic misstep by the campaign. Bernie Sanders should be He's prepared his whole life for this debate. He doesn't he shouldn't want to have a debate about Bloomberg's health. He should want to have a debate about people who tried to buy their way into the political system. Like example number one, and they're picking this ridiculous fight over medical records. Listen, if you want to question Bernie Sanders health and bring up the fact that he had a heart attack, go for it. But you better come right on the facts. But when it comes to how Bernie Sanders built this movement that I think we're all still mystified by it. it wasn't because he took cheap shots at people. It's because he talked about the influence of money in politics. I, I do think you
6: make a really important point about how this whole thing really undermines the Sanders campaign. The Bloomberg campaign is banking on being able to say to voters that a vote for Bernie Sanders is effectively the same as a vote for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And in several ways, this really plays into that hand, the the falsehoods, the reluctance to pull back on the falsehoods. But then also Bernie Sanders himself was the one who said, I think everybody should know about my health, uh, my, my health condition. I think the medical records should be released. He undermines that by walking that back, first of all, having his campaign spokesman walk that back. And then she likens it to birtherism, which was also a perplexing part of her comments.
1: You know what? Let's, let's so, actually play that. It's a, from question four, if we could play that soundbite. Here she is comparing reporters trying to find out the, the full story, more health records, more medical records, comparing, seeming to compare it uh, to the racist lie that Barack Obama wasn't born in the U.S.
4: What you're seeing right now is really reminiscent of some of the kind of smear, kind of uh, skepticism campaigns that have been run against a lot of different candidates in the past, um, questioning where they're from, um, aspects of their, uh, um, their, their lineage, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Every candidate gets asked for their <laughs> medical records, and he had a heart attack. <laughs> there last is fall. no
7: comparison here. I mean, he is running for to be the most powerful person in the world, the leader of the free world. All the voters have, as he said months ago, all deserve. All the voters deserve. Full disclosure to his medical records. So there are two problems here. Obviously, he's going back on a pledge that he made, and also, I mean, we deserve transparency, and we will continue to push for transparency on the health issues from for every candidate, from seventy-year-old seventy-eight-year-old Bernie Sanders to thirty-eight-year-old Pete Buttigieg. That's critical information that the
1: voters have a right to. And I think make. Buttigieg says he's going to release all his results, including tests and everything. Let's talk about this now uh, because Sanders said he would release, quote, comprehensive. Medical records. Uh, here he is right after that October heart attack talking to CNN. Sanjay Gupta.
3: So people do have a right to know about the health of a senator and somebody's running for president of the United States. Full, full disclosure. And we will make it at the appropriate time all of our medical records uh, public for you or for anybody else who wants to see them.
1: Now I asked Sanjay, who I think we all respect as completely apolitical and also somebody uh, who is fair about what Sanders has released, which is these three letters from doctors. And he said, quote, While it's true that Senator Sanders has not released all his medical records, the three letters do provide the relevant medical information about his overall health and important details about his heart. Uh, After a heart attack, the biggest question is the function of the heart, which is described for Senator Sanders as being above average for men his age. He does not appear to have any symptoms that took him to the hospital in the first place. These summarized letters are often and typically used as an important tool of communications between doctors. So it's not worthless, but he does acknowledge This is not all of his medical records.
6: It just also doesn't meet the criteria that Sanders himself set out. That's part of the problem here is that Sanders makes a claim that it's he wants to release full information to the public. And he didn't do that. And frankly, if he's in good health, just release the records. I don't understand why there would be a reason to not release them if he had, uh, if, if he was, as he says, in good health and as his doctors have indicated yeah. in good health. And the walking back of it is, is I think, what is politically damaging to him. It makes it look like he has something to hide and like he's doing what, what Donald Trump did, which is essentially releasing a letter saying that there. He's in great health and then refusing to release anything else, even though he would be the oldest if you were to be elected president, the oldest president we've ever had in this country.
1: All right, everyone stick around. We've got a lot more to talk about. Joe Biden is protesting some new lines of attack that may be a gamble in Vegas tonight. Also ahead, connecting the dots between President Trump and some of the criminals he pardoned. It seems, guess what? Money talks. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead, we are just a few hours away from what is shaping up to likely be a contentious debate. Here's a look at the lineup when the Democratic presidential hopefuls face off in Nevada tonight. And for the first time, this group includes former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. Uh, Let's discuss. Uh, First of all, uh, let me start with you, Amanda. Joe Biden just previewed the attacks he plans to use against Bloomberg tonight. Take a listen.
3: He's basically been a Republican his whole life.
2: The fact of the matter is he has he didn't endorse Barack or me when we ran. This is a guy talking about, you know, he's using Barack's pictures like, you know, they're good buddies. I'm going to talk about
1: his record. I mean, to be fair to Bloomberg, uh, he was a Democrat before he became a Republican, before he became an independent, before he became a Democrat. But that said, I mean, there are a lot of Republicans, including Elizabeth Warren's uh, first opponent, Scott Brown, whom Bloomberg raised money for.
0: Listen, here's what I'm afraid of as a conservative who's afraid that the Democrats are going to nominate a socialist who will be beat by Donald Trump. Tonight's going to be the Bloomberg show. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders is up double digits in the poll of polls and almost every poll this has been taking. He's just going to float up there. He might as well write Michael Bloomberg a thank you note for making the debate all about him. It is, you know, it just rubs me the wrong way. I'm from a small town watching a guy who's not even on the ballot, buying his way into the race, astroturfing. Bloomberg, not
1: in in the the Nevada caucus. Yeah, Yeah.
0: hasn't even got a single delegate yet. And now the debate's all about him. And so I'm just, I'm watching this thing happen and I'm fearing for the worst.
1: So Senator Sanders is trying to steal support away from the Biden campaign by saying he's the one that has momentum uh, and enthusiastic support. Here's a new ad Sanders is running in South Carolina.
6: I switched from the Biden campaign to the Sanders campaign because I want to see the kind of lines around the building that we saw in 2008. I want to see people motivated to get out and vote for a candidate that they believe in.
1: Again, Sanders with uh, with Obama. <laughs> by the way, just, an, just another one. Bloomberg didn't endorse Obama in 2008. Sanders was talking about needing to primary Obama in 2012. Yes. But in any case, the electability <laughs> argument being made by Sanders. Yes,
7: and Sanders and Obama did not. It had a little bit of a prickly relationship <laughs> Sanders, uh, because of a lot of their policy disagreements. But he is attacking Biden at his, uh, basically his whole argument for running is his electability issue. And while in head-to-head matchup with Trump's, Biden still d- does do nationally better against Trump than the other candidates. If your premise is on electability, then you have to start winning some contests, particularly within your own primary. And if you're not doing that and you're coming in fourth and you're coming in fifth, you're sending that signal that you're not generating enthusiasm within your own party and you see Sanders capitalizing on that. Nevada is going to be important for Biden, but South Carolina, critically, is going to be very, very crucial for him.
5: Okay, First of all, I think we have to take a big step back from the paranoia about Bernie Sanders being the Democratic nominee. We've had two contests. He's the front runner. I don't know. Okay, okay. I, we've had two contests. It's you know, still very, very, very early. And I, you know, you've heard me say this, go back to 2016, go back to 2008. We got plenty of time. Voters will want to have their say. I actually think potentially tonight will be excellent for, uh, joe biden because the opportunity for michael bloomberg to say something crazy uh sort of like old man out of touch crazy a lot of more so, for a lot of men there true speech. but more <laughs> so even than sometimes <laughs> joe has said i mean he has never said let's throw we have to throw black people up against the wall i I've, that may not be the exact quote, but... They said minority. Minority. Okay. That's <laughs> right. Black minority. It's not you get, a defense. You, you, you it's get not the a, point, right? It's not a defense. I mean, right. so he's gonna, he is going to be on defense. And this is the beginning of the vetting process of Michael Bloomberg. He, to this point, has been able to control his message. When he's had an interview that didn't go well, they take... They don't, you don't see or hear from him again until he's got a teleprompter in front of him. Now he's going to have to defend his record in real time... And I think all the other candidates have to decide what's their strategy. When you prep for a debate like this, it's very different, right? Because he's brand new. So he's also trying to start from the beginning in some right. ways, whereas these guys have been debating each other for a while.
1: And, and, and Abby, we should point out also, um, while Sanders, I've seen him doing well in the polls in Nevada. Nobody really knows how to poll a, a caucus, it seems. Um, Sanders has run into issues with one of the largest unions in Nevada uh, after it warned all of its members that his Medicare for all plan uh, would get rid of their their union health care that that union has not endorsed again. And we saw today, I think, uh, Klobuchar, Warren, Biden. Buttigieg visiting some of those very same union workers on a picket line uh, today. If you were advising, I mean, I know it's not your thing, uh, but if, if, if you were advising a candidate, uh, to, the, a non-Sanders candidate, this might be an area where you could really go after him yeah. to, to try to win over those union
6: members. I mean, it's a huge, uh, first of all, it's a huge problem for Bernie Sanders. But, I mean, I think you've already seen the other candidates trying to take advantage of this Uh Early on, the very first day of campaigning in Nevada after New Hampshire, you saw these candidates saying basically, or specifically Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, I'm not for Medicare for All. I'm not for taking away these plans that you guys have negotiated. And, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is in a tough position here where not only did the union say uh, that his Medicare for All would take away their health care plan, but then later on, uh, they accused his own supporters of attacking union leadership. This is a um, this is a a minority led organization. Uh, It's led by uh, by women of color. So it's a real problem for him. And if you were a, one of those candidates on that stage, you hit both of the issues, health care and the issue of the tone of the Sanders campaign, which flared up. Absi- in yeah,
1: civility, certainly. Uh, everyone stick around. we got a lot more to talk about coming up next. Why Michael Bloomberg's past comments about women may be his toughest opponent on the debate stage this evening. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead, as Michael Bloomberg prepares to take the debate stage for the first time tonight, he is preparing for questions about his past, no doubt. Specifically, vulgar allegations of sexism and misogyny. Details from former Bloomberg LLP employees painting an unsavory image of the former New York City mayor as laid out in multiple lawsuits. CNN's MJ Lee uh, joins me now from Las Vegas where the debate will be. um, What exactly are former employees accusing him of?
8: Well, Jake, CNN examined two lawsuits dating back to the 1990s. Uh, These are two lawsuits that have drawn the scrutiny from other media outlets as well. And the first lawsuit was brought forth by a woman named Sakiko Garrison, a former Bloomberg LP. LP employee who described a boys club-like environment at the company. She said that women were encouraged to have sex appeal and that women who were married and had children uh, would lose out on career opportunities. Now, according to the complaint, this woman uh, says that when she found out that she was pregnant and told Michael Bloomberg uh, that he said, kill it, and muttered, great, number 16, suggesting to to the plaintiff his unhappiness, that 16 women in the company had maternity-related status. Now, there were other crude and crass remarks that were attributed to Michael Bloomberg as a part of this complaint and lawsuit. And importantly, the campaign says that Bloomberg did not say anything that is mentioned in this lawsuit. So that's the important pushback here from the campaign. And this second lawsuit that CNN looked at was also brought forth by a former female Bloomberg LP employee who actually accused a Bloomberg executive at the time of rape. So a very serious allegation. And according to the Village Voice, which took a look at Bloomberg's uh, deposition as a part of that lawsuit, Bloomberg alleg- allegedly said that he would only believe a rape charge if there was an un impeachable third party witness. Now, this is what campaign spokesman Stu Lozer told CNN in reaction to that. He said it was a contentious deposition and this is not what Mike believes. So, uh, Jake, this is just one of many examples of things that Mike Bloomberg could be asked about certainly tonight and in the weeks to come as his campaign
0: continues.
1: And MJ, you spoke with a former Bloomberg employee about these lawsuits and, and the culture uh, at Bloomberg LP. What did the employee say?
8: We did. Uh, according to this person, a former senior Bloomberg LP employee, they say that what they saw at the company themselves uh, is reflected in the two lawsuits that we were just talking about. Uh, this sort of culture of sexism and misogyny uh, and coming from uh, Bloomberg himself. Uh, this is a part of what they told us. They said, when you're a woman who worked at Bloomberg, you had to look beautiful. You had to be gorgeous. If you were overweight, they would call you horrible names. It's mean. Now, the Bloomberg campaign's overall pushback uh, to these kinds of allegations has been to point out uh, that Michael Bloomberg himself does not condone this kind of behavior. So I just want to read a part of the statement that we got from Bloomberg campaign chairwoman Patty Harris. Uh, She says in any large organization, there are going to be complaints. But Mike has never tolerated any kind of discrimination or harassment, and he has created cultures that are all about equality and inclusion. Anyone who works hard and performs well is going to be rewarded regardless of gender, race, sexual orientation, or anything else. Jake?
1: All right, MJ Lee in Las Vegas, thanks so much. Coming up, new questions today about whether Attorney General Bill Barr was really thinking of resigning. We'll talk to a former top Justice Department official who has known Barr for decades. That's next. And we're back with the politics lead. Attorney General Bill Barr may be at a breaking point. A source tells CNN the Barr has considered resigning over the president's tweets that involve himself in Justice Department matters, particularly prosecutions. The White House and Justice Department are denying the story. As CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us now, President Trump insists he's well within his rights to comment on any legal matter, including those involving his friends.
2: I'm actually, I guess, the chief law enforcement officer of the country.
9: As President Trump declares himself the nation's but top law enforcement really officer, integrity. His attorney general is telling people he's considering resigning if Trump doesn't stop getting involved in Justice Department affairs. The warning has prompted widespread skepticism over whether Barr is serious about stepping down or sending a calculated message.
3: I cannot do my job here at the department uh, with a constant background commentary that, that undercuts me.
2: Yeah, I, I do make his job harder. I do agree with that. I think
9: so far, Trump has ignored Barr's appeals to stop tweeting. Instead, he's demanding a new trial for Roger Stone and lashing out at the federal judge who will sentence Stone tomorrow, despite the Justice Department saying there's no need for a retrial. I
2: think Roger Stone's been treated unfairly.
9: According to a DOJ spokesman, Barr has, quote, no plans to resign. And White House officials are downplaying the tension between the two.
5: He absolutely respects the attorney general. Um, he appreciates his service. They have a good relationship.
9: That same official adding the president also doesn't plan to stop tweeting.
5: The president still has the right to defend himself. And uh, he uses social media, as you guys well know, to, to, um, to get out his message directly to the American people.
9: Skeptics have questioned the extent of Barr's irritation with the president. He is seen by many as a calculating figure, and talk of his potential resignation comes amid a strained relationship with the Justice Department rank and file over the appearance of political influence on the department.
2: We have a great attorney general. He's a very fair man. He's a great gentleman. And we have a great attorney general, highly prestigious man, a very honorable man.
10: I have a lot of faith in Bill Barr.
9: Now, Jake, one look at the president's Twitter feed today, and you can see he's not heeding these calls from Bill Barr to stop tweeting. So what Barr has essentially done here by telling people he's considering resigning over the president's constant interference is he's got to essentially decide if he's going to make good on that threat or if he's going to back off of it.
1: All right. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Joining me now at the table, former federal prosecutor Laura Coates and Donald Ayer, who served alongside Bill Barr in the George H.W. Bush administration as deputy attorney general. Thanks so much for being here. Donald, let me start with you. You've known Bill Barr for four decades, so I know you haven't talked to him in a a, a bit. Um, You have called on him to resign What's your read on this situation? Do you do you, think, do you take it at face value? He's frustrated with the president's tweets, and he wants him to stop?
10: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably not the best person to ask. I, I know about as much as anybody else does. And, you know, obviously it is frustrating if you're doing what I think it's fair to say he is doing, which is uh, essentially trying to carry out plans that will make the president a, uh, a virtual autocrat um, to have the president complimenting you. Uh, because he likes what you're doing and he likes that you're intervening on behalf of, of friends of his who are now up to be sentenced. So mm. I can see that it would be frustrating. I, I just have no way to evaluate if he's seriously thinking of resigning or not. I hope he is, because for reasons I've I've written about at some length, I think there's lots of reasons he ought to resign.
1: Uh, Laura, what do you think? Do you think Barr is seriously considering stepping down over the tweets uh, that put him in a light where it looks like he's being pressured by the president and no matter what he does. Uh, will be seen through that light, or do you think this is all just kabuki theater?
4: Kabuki theater. Not for a second do I think that Bill Barr is going to step down over a 2,000 plus signature-based letter from former prosecutors or the president's tweets. Notice what he did not say. He didn't give you the reasons for why those tweets bothered him, other than it made his job harder, as you alluded to, the notion of it's now going to be in the light as opposed to cover of darkness. But the real issue of the president's tweets is that it misinforms one thing in particular. He's not the chief law enforcement executive. The president. Yeah, the president. That's Bill Barr's job general. Number two, he is undermining the career prosecutors, the line prosecutors who are supposed to work autonomously and without political pressure. So if Bill Barr is actually concerned about the reputation, not of himself, but of the prosecutors who day in and day out go into court, have to have their credibility of their line and their colleagues, then that should be his main concern, not simply a tweet. That is simply a smoke and mirror. The core of the issue is the problem.
1: So one of the things that's interesting is that President Trump, especially in the last couple weeks since he was acquitted but generally since he started his political career, uh, has shown a real denigration of prosecutors. He's constantly attacking prosecutors, uh, the FBI, Comey, the people who uh, sought the, the sentence for Roger Stone, etc. And he's constantly talking up criminal defendants, uh, whether it's Michael Flynn or Roger Stone or Rod Blakojevich. Um, as somebody who worked in the Justice Department, as a Republican, what, what do you make of it?
10: Well, it's, it's exceptionally unfortunate. It's one of many things that are unfortunate about what this president is doing. And I think it's it's corrosive of the morale of the people in the department. Um, one of the things that he says that I think is is the most telling as to the job that, that Bill Barr is doing is that this statement that he keeps making, that he's the chief law enforcement officer and he can interfere if he wants to, that is a statement that Bill Barr told him is the law in the memo that Bill Barr submitted back in June of 2018, he literally wrote there that the president oversees the entire government, including the Justice Department, and and can't be denied the right to supervise all criminal cases, including ones where he's the defendant or where, where he's the, the subject. And so th- this is the problem with the Justice Department now. It's It's not just a sort of a a recent inconvenience and an embarrassment by the president tweeting, it's that department's been run for the last year by someone who wants to make Donald Trump uh, someone who is beyond the law. And there are all these steps that have been taken, and the latest ones are just the most disturbing because they're in the criminal area.
1: And one of them, of course, having to do with Roger Stone, who will be sentenced tomorrow uh, by Judge Amy Berman Jackson. President Trump has attacked the judge, he's attacked the prosecutors, he's attacked uh, the sentencing uh, recommendation. What do you anticipate is going to happen? The prosecutors said they recommended seven to nine years. The Justice Department undermined that. The four prosecutors resigned from the case. Seven to nine years, under, over, what do you think?
4: Well, they are according to the guideline range. It didn't come out from the sky. They didn't just say, that sounds like a good number. Let's see if that sticks. It's based on a chart that's also developed and actually um, added up by the pretrial services, whose job it is to figure out, based on your criminal history, any Aggravating factors like um, the crime spanned over a course of years. You did not comply with orders during the court. For example, a gag order by the which judge, which he did not Can't yeah. tam- tamper with. It. And it says all those things add on. It's not that they were trying to be preferential and against him. That's the president, what he's doing. So she'll be, he'll be sentenced tomorrow. Any new trial? Well, that will come later. But he will be sentenced, I'm probably thinking, in the five-year range. But I can't predict Amy Berman Jackson.
10: Quickly, any predictions? I I don't. I mean, I I think what's important is that the judge is going to do what she thinks is right. And what's so sad is that all of this conversation about people trying to influence it make it very hard to do that in a way that the public looks at it and feels like it's... We'll have any faith in it. Absolutely. Donald
1: Ayer and Laura Coates, thank you both for your expertise and for being here. Appreciate it. There's a common green thread linking several of the people who were granted clemency by President Trump. We'll explain next. President Trump took to Twitter today to defend the list of pardons and commutations he granted, including one for former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. And when you look at the 11 men and women granted clemency by the president, there are some common themes, friends in high places and money, lots of it, flaunted by those with connections to the White House. CNN's Tom Foreman is following the money for us. And Tom, let's start with construction company owner Paul Pogue. His family made donations to Trump's campaign.
3: Yeah, Jake, this is a guy who underpaid his taxes, was sentenced to three years probation. Then federal election records show his family kicked more than $200,000 into Trump's reelection. Now he's off the hook. But he's not the only big money player. Who the president has favored with his power to pardon michael milken the junk bond king of the 1980s has long been a poster child for violating securities laws he was sentenced to 10 years served less than two since then he's been a champion of cancer research and some of his friends in the world of finance thought his record should be cleared including huge republican donor sheldon adelson fox magnate rupert murdoch and treasury secretary steve mnuchin eddie debartolo jr former owner of the san francisco 49ers he was connected to a bribery scheme, agreed to pay a million dollars in fines, and eventually had to give up his NFL team. But he did not give up his friends. Among those who wanted clemency for him, several NFL stars and the billionaire owners of the Patriots and Cowboys, Robert Kraft and Jerry Jones. Jake?
1: Kraft and Jones had something to do with it. And Tom, the, the president's clemency also have a number of celebrity connections, it seems. Yeah.
3: Former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, you mentioned just a short while ago, in Blagojevich's case, he tried to sell a Senate seat vacated by Barack Obama. He was sentenced to 14 years. Trump cut it off at eight, saying he should go home to his family. The conviction was ridiculous. Trump says he doesn't know Blagojevich well, but the former governor was on Celebrity Apprentice with Trump, and notably Logojevich's wife was on Fox News repeatedly and directly asking the president to set him free. And Bernie Carrick, he was the former commissioner of the New York Police Department, charged with tax fraud and lying about it, sentenced to four years, but now his record is clear as well. What helped him? Ties to and support from Fox News, combined with his long association with president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. Jake.
1: All right. Thanks so much, uh, Tom Foreman. Remember when Rudy Giuliani and the president, Republican senators were telling us we're really invested in
6: rooting out corruption? They hate corruption, Abby. They hate it. I mean, Rudy Giuliani is the greatest corruption fighter in the history of the country, according to the president. Crime fighter. And corruption fighter. I mean, it is so amazing uh, that it all it really takes is... A few friends and some high places, some money uh, and maybe an appearance or two on Fox News and you can get clemency or a pardon. And then and then, you know, I've noticed a lot of uh, Trump allies tweeting, well, Trump hasn't pardoned that many people. And that's true. But it's why he pardons them. That is the problem. Other presidents have a process that they go through. People submit applications. It gets reviewed by the Department of Justice. None of that is happening here.
1: And also, we should just point out, as Rod Bolgoyevich celebrated his freedom, President Trump tweeted today, Rod Bolgoyevich did not sell the Senate seat. He served eight years in prison with many remaining. He paid a big price. Another Comey and gang deal. Okay, first of all, let's start with the did not sell the Senate seat. He didn't. Mm He tried he to. Tried, he, right. tried. He, he
9: tried. Doesn't find a buyer. The criminal
1: complaint yeah. against him in 2008 <laughs> accuses him of, uh, of quote conspiring to sell the Senate seat. Uh, and, and and second of all, this idea we heard this during uh, from the president's defenders during the, you, you, the Ukraine scandal. The idea that somebody attempts to commit a crime fails, mm-hmm. therefore it's not a crime.
7: Exactly. I mean, what I mean. There's no question what former Governor Blagojevich did here. And the other thing to understand Trump, about too, and we've reported this in the past when he rolled out kind of his first batch of pardons, is that he really relishes that pardon power because it is kind of a singular uh, power, this authority that a president has where he is virtually unchecked. Congress can't do anything about it. Obviously, even with the process at the Justice Department, he can circumvent that and commute and pardon all the sentences that he wants. And that's why he's really enjoyed this power. And you see just the influence that Fox News appears getting have over, you know, Illinois Republicans who know Blagojevich because his crimes very well. They had been pleading with him for the better part of a year. Don't do it. Don't do this. And then he did. And they kind of just released a tepid statement saying, "Eh, we're just And
1: Here's something I want you to take a look at. Uh, So here's Blagojevich uh, after he was released from prison.
3: I'm a Trumpocrat. The Trumpocrat, that's right. Until now, in the history of our country, no one has done more or is currently working to do more to fix this broken and racist criminal justice system than President Trump and Jared Kushner. That's
1: right. I mean, if I were with the <laughs> Illinois Democratic Party, I would grab that tr- tr- Trumpocrat image and then put it all on Illinois television. Yeah.
0: That is one of the most disgusting statements to come out of the whole Trump presidency. I'm a Trumpocrat. I'd vote for him. But oh, by the way, I can't because I'm a felon. I mean, we can laugh about this, but I mean, these charges, it's just a complete carousel of corruption, lies, fraud, and there's, it's just completely random. The only through line is like, oh, well, they sucked up to the president. That is what's so destructive about this. There's no statement here that Trump is sending other than, if I like you, I do nice things for you. But if you're bad to me, lock her up.
5: Right. I also have a real problem watching Rod Blagojevich talk about racism in the criminal justice system. I'm sorry. You, he's you know. not a political prisoner. But, <laughs> he's not. Turns out, but he hasn't been stopped and frisked either. Um, you know. But look, this is a preview of a second term of Donald Trump. He now feels like he has unchecked power. Didn't he just say he's the top law enforcement yep. person of our country? Now he's he's also said he's the chosen one. I mean, he's just decided. If I if they're not going to stop me, then I'm going to just keep Mm -hmm. pushing forward with everything I want to do and whether I'm going to, you know, pardon the people I want to pardon, and you can't do anything about it. And he also sort of relishes saying, well, of course I, could do, I can do this, I can do whatever I want, to remind us I'm in charge, I've got the power, and there's nothing you can do about so,
1: it. So one other thing, lawyers for Julian Assange say that the WikiLeaks founder, could, he could have also been pardoned, perhaps he will be pardoned, who knows. They say former Republican Congressman Dana Rohrabacher offered Assange a pardon, quote, if Assange would say Russia was not involved in the 2016 DNC email hack, and we should note the White House calls this, a total lie, but I mean, that's another possible pardon. I mean, the pardons don't only come on in February; they could come anytime
6: and and and, as Sungman pointed out, he can pardon whoever he wants. I mean, there's really no restriction on it. so, I mean, I don't know if there's really any truth to that uh, at all, frankly, but it just goes to show that there is an unlimited list of people who could be pardoned by the president, especially those who have some bearing on these uh, political investigations that the president wants retribution mm-hmm. for. Anything related to Russia, anything related to Comey, anything related to Russia, Roger Stone, these are all on the, the list of
1: A lot for us to cover going forward. Stay around, everyone. A stunning development for NASCAR driver Ryan Newman, after thankfully surviving this fiery crash stay with us. In our world lead, a dramatic retaliation against journalists in China after the communist country received criticism for how how it has been handling the coronavirus outbreak. Three Wall Street Journal reporters had their press credentials revoked and have been told they have five days to leave the country. This after an opinion piece ran in the newspaper titled, quote, China is the real sick man of Asia. The Chinese government called the essay racist and demanded that the Wall Street Journal apologize. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said, quote, mature, responsible countries that understand that a free press reports facts. This, of course, from a Secretary of State who kicked NPR off his plane because he didn't like how an interview went. Finally, in our sports lead, that's NASCAR driver Ryan Newman walking out of the hospital. Just days after a horrific crash on Monday during the final lap of the Daytona 500, his wife tweeted, quote, best sight ever as he left with his two daughters In hand. We agree. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Jake Tapper. or Tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks so much for watching. See you tomorrow.
2: I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell
0: us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.